0: Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan.
1: My name's Brent.
0: And this episode, we're discussing SST-166, the Black Flag compilation, Wasted Again. And we're still in the comp zone That's from right. last week. That's yeah, right. just like in Tron. I think you're you're like Flynn, though. I'm probably Tron. Okay. Is that fair?
1: I Sure, I don't know Tron, so. What? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh oh my God. Okay. Well, there's some non SST homework for you, my friend, because I'm just full of Tron references that you're going to miss out on now. Okay. All right. This episode, we're going to go way back to cover some black flag tracks, basically spanning almost all of the black flag catalog and all the, and a track that, you know, goes all the way back to our first episode. Mm -hmm. So we're really doing, um, a, a look back in Black Flag's catalogue. And we don't have a guest on this show per se, but we do have something really special to cover that might just blow open one of the most tightly held secrets and SST legends of all time, Brant. Is that fair? Uh, that is more than fair. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually still trying to process it. I ha- I can't quite come to grips with it yet, the magnitude of what we have to reveal this week. Yeah, I think it's going to break the internet. Now, I'm quite shaken by it uh, to be completely honest. I think once we get it out there though for the people some of the pieces might start to fall more into place but um, yeah. hang in there. We'll get to it in uh, the history
1: lessons coming up here. I'll just say everything you thought you knew about Black Flag it's all going out the window in this episode. Totally.
0: Yeah. So before we go there though and get our minds blown why don't you blow my mind with some spiels?
1: Sure, man. I have a recommend roundup for you. Nice. So here's some stuff you recommended. No So. Right. Specialtronics Green Vision from yes. last year, Drunken Sailor Records. Cleveland Band, weird kind of jerky post-punk, some Devo in there for sure, but yep. way noisier. Uh, this is their debut. Uh, they have some singles. I've checked out... A few of the bands on this label, Drunken Sailor, like previously, but there's some great stuff on that label. Definitely need to do a deep dive into Drunken Sailor. Yeah. And No So is good too. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. Rockets Red Glare, self titled, 2002, oh, yeah. oh, Sick yeah. Room Records. Yes. Again, tons of stuff on that label too. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a Chicago label. I actually have a Triclops EP on Sick Room. Uh, But I've never heard 99% of the bands on there. So uh, some more exploration to do. Not surprised that you like Rockets Red Glare. Bass heavy, mathy. Fugazi is probably a lazy comparison, but Mm -hmm. uh, it's good. And they're Canadian too. They're from Toronto. Exactly. Did you check out N Shridloo? Yep. I'm glad you said the uh, band name (laughs) so I don't have to. That was going to be my next one. Mating Calls is the record. 2009, standard form. Uh, they're associated with Rocket's Red Glare, I believe. Yeah. Again, not surprised that you dig it. Uh, I mean, they can really play. Mathy, instro, post-hardcore. If that's your thing, uh, this is probably as good as it gets, I would say. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Okay, uh, another one of my recommend roundups here for you, Ryan. Mike Bat and the London Symphony. Schizophrenia? Phonia? Phonia? Oh, you went for that album, no way. Yeah, 1977. Usually kind of don't go for that kind of stuff, like rock mixed with symphonies behind them, but this is really good. Uh, Chris Spedding is on guitar, so the guitar playing is really great. Bit of a 70s prog vibe, but the songs are are really good. It kind of reminds me at times of Dream Police era Cheap Trick, which, of course, I'm a huge Cheap Trick fan, so good recommend. I'll be checking out more Mike Batt.
0: Yeah, there's a couple other albums that actually I would I would have thought you went to that are more up your alley. So,
1: uh, interesting. Yeah, well, that's the one I found. So There you go. <laughs> uh, the Broken Jug, Burning Down the Neighborhood, 1987. Ah, yes. Glitterhouse Records, great recommend. German Garage, frankly, I'm embarrassed to say I don't know this band. Somewhat rem- reminiscent of an all-time favorite of mine and yours, The Nomads. Yep. You gave me the homework of determining whether vocalist Harry V was maybe influenced by Chris D, and I can definitely hear the similarity. Yeah. Great songs, too. Need to track down more from The Broken Jug. Right on. Okay, three on the tree time, Ryan. Are you done the recommends? I'm done the recommend roundup.
0: I think I was, I got a check mark on all of those, didn't I?
1: More or less, yep. Yeah. Yep. Street cred, finally. Okay, three on the tree. Banyan, live at Perkins Palace. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Funky jazz group founded by drummer Stephen Perkins of Jane's Addiction. Uh, Tons of great musicians have played in the group, uh, which kind of has a revolving membership. People like Flea, Martin Lenoble, Money Mark, Buckethead, many others. Nels Klein has played guitar on all three of their records, and the primary bassist on all three is Watts on Bass. That's right. This is called Live at Perkins Palace, 2004 Sanctuary Records. It isn't actually live. It's called that because it was recorded at Stephen Perkins' home. Uh, Nels Klein shows how you know how hard he can shred on this record. Watt is, of course, awesome on bass. He wrote sev- several of the tracks as well. Uh, but for me, the real star here is Willie Waldman on trumpet. Uh, the album is pretty eclectic, but when it's at its best, it's channeling fusion-era Miles Davis. Hmm. And they close the album with a ripping "Funhouse," which is pretty cool because it's not trumpet like we're used to hearing from Steve McKay or sax. Sorry, from Steve McKay, it's trumpet, so uh, it's different from the Funhouse that you're used to hearing. So it's a cool take on it. Ryan, I'm still on a Sister Double Happiness kick, so I listened to "A Stone's Throw from Love" live and acoustic at the Great American Music Hall, six seventeen ninety-two. Right. So this was the final thing the band recorded, or sorry, it was the final thing they released. It was recorded in 92, but it came out in 99. It's the two great guitar lineup of Ben Cohen and Danny Roman, who are, of course, awesome, but a bit low-key. It's all acoustic. Lynn Perko really shines. She plays all sorts of percussion, really shows her vocal chops, and on a great song called You For You, she plays some really, really great piano. Miles Montalbano is the bass player at this point in the band, but of course the real star here is that amazing voice. Real soulful ballads, some blues, some cool takes on some tracks like Sweet Talker, for example. Gary Floyd plays some harmonica. Uh, Lynn says in the liner notes, Gary's voice just echoed with heartfelt resonance in the presence of this perfect environment of naked music and a beautiful room. Mm. And- And Ben Cohen says in the liner notes at the center of it all was that voice. There is no mistaking the pain, the desperation and the yearning without the usual thundering of the band. Each and every nuance is there to be heard. Nice. Also, Ryan, if you remember uh, back on the sister double happiness episode, Gary mentioned a third version of the amazing track. You don't know me Mm -hmm. on a comp. You found it. I did. I did. I uh, did some recon tracked it down, sort of. Gary misspoke. It's actually a track called Don't Worry, which they ended up re-recording for the reprise album, Heart and Mind. The comp is called Commotion International, Commotion with a K. Uh, It's mainly San Francisco artists. I think it's all SF artists, actually. The Looters are on there, who have a cool 12-inch EP on Alternative Tentacles. Yeah, right. Penelope Houston of The Avengers has a track on there. Eggs, which was Michael Franti's first band, um, also who has stuff on Alternative Tentacles. So I googled the comp and found it on the internet archive under the name Commotion Compilation Volume 1. That's, again, with a K. uh, And you can download it or stream it. And then finally, Ryan, uh, my third record on the S.S. Tree is Brian Ritchie, Sakahoochee Club, NYC which came out in 2004 on Weed Records. Sakahuchi, if I'm saying it right, is a traditional Japanese wooden flute, and Ka. it's quite quite a big flute. Right. It's a really cool record with elements of free jazz, Albert Eiler, and John Coltrane's kind of more spiritual era. It's definitely, he even covers uh, John Coltrane's Living Space song on there. Uh, television drummer uh, Billy Fika, plays on it a bunch of other great musicians backing him up it's really good and then finally ryan i'm gonna take us into the comp comp zone but i kind of think we're already in there so well if you're gonna
0: take us into the comp zone while we're in the comp zone
1: yeah then we're getting real we're getting deep into the comp zone okay and this is comp zone recommend roundup edition oh yeah four on the floor 1993 on the great seattle label cz Oh, yeah, right, because yeah. of
0: the three on the tree comp.
1: You're right. <laughs> so there's a band we mentioned last week, actually, Tree People. Yep. Out of Boise. Great early 90s indie rock. Uh, another Boise band, Dirt Fisherman, who I know nothing about, uh, but they have several releases on CZ. Really good Northwest rocker called Soy Cheese. Not unlike Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge Era Mudhoney. Mm-hmm. Gnome a Seattle band, definitely sounds like of that era. Again, they have a number of CZ releases that I've never heard. Do you know Gnome, Ryan?
0: Not well, just from that comp. Uh, I know the Gnomes of Zurich better from (laughs) Amphetamine Reptile. But uh, no, it's one of those things where I I listen to as much as I can, but I probably haven't listened to that comp for years. And that's why I love the reminder,
1: because now I'm going to know Gnome. Yeah, it's a seven-inch, too. So exactly. So it's only four songs, so I listened to it like five times. Uh, the real winner for me on the comp is Alcohol Funny Car. Mm-hmm. Funny Car. Yeah, uh, They're a band I've heard before, but not taken a deep dive on or really gotten into their records. They have a few albums and singles also on CZ. They have a great and track on here that kind of reminded me of Seaweed, actually. And the single has that now iconic and unmistakable art chantry artwork that's since become so associated with this era. So great recommend, Ryan. Yeah. You're batting a hundred. Did you listen
0: to, But did you listen to three on the tree though as well? Three on the tree? Yeah. So there was three on the tree and then there's four on the floor. There's two seven inch
1: comps. Ah, <laughs> no, I didn't. Okay, uh, So man. I didn't actually listen to your recommend. I screwed up.
0: A little bit, but that's okay. You get a pass. <laughs>
1: Well, stay tuned. Stay tuned.
0: It's a good thing we're we're old old buddies, or else that's it. You're cut off. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, with a screw up like that, I couldn't really fault you.
0: You'll still keep your MoJack membership badge. Don't worry. Okay. What do you got for me? Aha. Okay. Some quick spiel's. My first spiel is a futon update. When we mentioned the new SNFU EP that's coming out, you questioned whether Chai is singing mm-hmm. on them, and he definitely is, good. which is good news. Good. It's out, and you can get it on Bandcamp, but you can also, for folks like me who want a physical copy, you can order a copy from the um, Chase the Glory Tattoos and Records website. But, Brent, here's the other reason I'm giving you a futon update in particular, because while you're on the Chase the Glory website, you can also order on vinyl for the first time the Wheat Chiefs Redeemer LP. Oh, no way. Way. They're re-releasing all the SNFU stuff and a bunch of other Canadian bands that you know that you and I will mm-hmm. know like Trigger Happy and stuff like that. Even like the Epitaph era? Yes. Oh, cool. Yep. Every uh I can't recall. I don't think they have something green and leafy, but I think they have the other ones. But they're even re-releasing like the BYO and cargo records and stuff. Mm-hmm. So but you can get the new one there and the Wii Chiefs Redeemer on vinyl for the first time. But of course it doesn't have the better version of the Weed Chiefs song that you rub my face in it every single time Weed Chiefs come up. That's on that skate comp that you have and I don't have, but that's fine. Yeah. Okay, my next one is actually a Three on the Tree edition as well. Oh, good. First one is a band I finally tracked down their disc, Farmers. Oh, sweet. Georgie. Yeah, do you know Farmers? Yep. Yeah, so Farmers, it's George Hurley on drums, but also Bill Bowman of Vita. hmm And... It's cool. I, I actually, when I first put it on, this came out in 2003. Vita is like early 90s. And I was hoping for something a little bit more Vita-esque. But Farmers is actually, when I first put it on, pretty straight ahead rock. And I was I was almost ready to like kind of go, meh, not that exciting. But the more and more I listen to it, and there's some deep cuts on there, like the song Don't You and, and Others. I'm like, no, no, there's something there. This is this is a good record. So definitely recommend checking out Farmers. 2003, uh, it was released. Self-released too. So it's um, it's not very easy to track down, but finally got one. It's cool though. Second one on the tree, Royal Arctic Institute, mm-hmm. the great um, surf jazz band with Lyle Hyson on drums from Das daman They re-released their... Album, The French Method on Cassette with a bonus track recently, as well as a new five song cassette, uh, Sodium Light. So check out the Royal Arctic Institute Bandcamp page to get into some new tunes by them. And then Brandt, I know we're already in the comp zone. We just went into a deeper layer of the comp zone. We're gonna go one more layer deeper into the
1: comp 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 zone. That's right. <laughs> don't even have to put echo on that one yeah so i
0: actually came across a couple of tracks by all which are new to me and Mm. i was i was doing a bit of an all deep dive after we had stephan edgerton on the show but strangely enough chad era all which is not usually my favorite era i'm usually like strictly dave and scott era all and you know I would dabble in Chad but I went deep into Chad and I got a new appreciation of Chad era all uh, some of it is just killer yeah um, but I but I came across a couple of new all tracks to me one is on this comp called disarming violence hmm. this is on released 2000 on fast music it's a compilation benefit for the PAX organization which supports anti-gun violence And the song is called College Town. And it's awesome. It's awesome. It's just awesome. You should check that out. Mm -hmm. And then I also found this track by All called All In All on a comp called The New Frontier, a collection of Colorado bands. This is on Soda Jerk Records. 30 tracks on it. I hardly know any of them. I think, you know, there's a couple that have names that sound familiar, but I don't really know them. Anyways, another good all track on here, all in all. I actually, I prefer the College Town track probably off of the Disarming Violence comp, but a couple new all tracks to check out for sure. Also on, though, I should mention this Disarming Violence comp, there's also uh, Dag Nasty doing the song Incinerate, which came off their album, uh, later like it was released in 2002 minority of one on revelation and then another dave song on here is a band called the sharpshooters which is a song called dead end kid the sharpshooters of course is a band that dave smalley did with a bass player from down by law and they have a 2000 album called viva los gorillas sharpshooters is like a more even more mod version of down by law, but it's really killer. And, uh, you should check out that comp for those tracks, but two new all songs for me anyways. Awesome. I'll be checking that out for sure. Yeah. So that's all I got. And I don't know if I've ever said this before, but I'm actually like nervous to go into history lesson part one, but should, (laughs) but should we do this? Let's get wasted again. History lesson part one. All right. So this segment is going to be a bit different than usual. And it's huge. Yeah, it's, it's it's really big. It's huge. So as I said, we're going back through the Black Flag catalog, almost all of it. But there's one album that's not on not represented on the Wasted Again comp. And that's the My War album, Brent.
1: Yeah, well, it doesn't have the instrumental stuff off of weeding out or family man too. But yeah, the glaring omission here is my war for sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: And we did the, my war album way, way back, you know, go back and listen to that episode. If you want to get into the, my. I mean, and who needs another excuse to get into my war? It's uh, you know, it's, I think it's your go-to black flag album, right? You bet it is. Yep. The weird thing about that album, of course, though, is the bass player on my war. None other than Dale Nixon. Right. Now, we've talked about Dale Nixon before, and we had always thought, and most of what you see out there suggests, that Dale Nixon is actually a pseudonym used by Greg Ginn, right? Mm-hmm. That was what I always assumed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you would now and then see the name Dale Nixon pop up here and there, you know, sometimes half jokingly, like, haha, my name is Dale Nixon. I'm. Uh, but I'm really Greg Ginn, but I'm not really Greg Ginn. Ha ha. You know, and you see him, well, you see the name Dale Nixon given playing or writing credits on certain albums. Like, uh, just, I was just mentioning Dag Nasty, for example, their album four on the floor on epitaph, Dale Nixon is given guitar playing credit on that
1: record. Right. Right. Like a running joke is basically the assumption.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's also given credit. Well, Writing and lead vocal, guitar, bass, and drums credit on the Melvins King Buzzo Kiss tribute record. Dale Nixon's all over that one, hmm. apparently. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out he's also been around a bit more than that, and I don't know how to I don't know how to even start the conversation. But just tell the people what you found, man. <laughs> yeah. So. You're always bugging me about all the books I I have and collect on music. What do you What do you call it? Literature. Yeah. Well, you call it literature. Literature. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I have started venturing out just barely out of my basement now that we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel here in the plague, and I was just itching to go and find some new literature. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, anyways, I went to my my usual haunt into the musty, dusty basement of one of my favorite book nooks. And anyways, I've, I've, I definitely like, you know, filled up my satchel full, full of books and uh, was heading out the door and I saw that they actually had, I mean, obviously the retail business has suffered in the last year for sure, and they, and they have a lot of, a uh, lot of inventory to unload. Right. So, Anyways, I'm almost heading out the door. I've paid for all of my my new books, and I see a big stack of stuff. I can't believe I missed it when I walked in, but these grab bags, mystery grab bags, five bucks. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to grab a mystery grab bag. You never know what literature lurks in the grab bag. Right. Okay. You can't get anything for five bucks anymore, so. No. Well, much less a grab bag. Right. So anyways, uh, I took this home, my, my satchel of literature, literature, sorry, whew, and I opened up the grab bag and I found an audiobook on CD by none other than Dale Nixon. Whoa! And now, now we've come across Dale Nixon before, like remember we saw Dale Nixon on that Magnolia Thunderpussy disc and we're like, ha ha, another running joke, right? Right this is no joke this this is no joke what i found here um it's crazy man like yeah i know i know so like to cut to the chase but this is actually like dale nixon the session bass players life story audiobook and it's legit
1: yeah you should read the thing you read to me from the
0: oh like the back cover or whatever yeah
1: yeah, here, this is
0: what it says on the back cover. Dale's self-released audiobook is called Now We're Grilling With Gas, My Journey From First Call Session Musician to the Undisputed Cookout King of Southern California. The first half of the book is actually pretty interesting and tells the story of Dale's career as an in-demand session musician.
1: Yeah. And then, like, once you go through it, like... <laughs> The second half of the book is kind of this super harrowing story of Dale's near fatal 1997 hang gliding accident. But then, to be honest, it just gets excruciatingly boring as it goes, for me, way too deeply into Dale's rise to becoming Southern California's number one gas grill salesman. Like, you really have to be interested in the world of gas grills to get much enjoyment out of the non-music parts of the book.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean I'm I'm even shocked that I gave it a second look and didn't just toss it away but and had but I mean like I'm like what a session musician so I had to give it a listen. And here's here's what else it said here's what it said kind of like on the back of the audiobook. Yeah. It came out in 2018, right? So just before, well, like what, a year and a half probably before things got crazy here with the plague yeah. via nixco productions i guess is dale nixon's production company and here's what it said on the back of the the cd i mean if i'm being honest it looks pretty do-it-yourself it It looks like you know it's it's photocopy it's like a cd-rom with marker well maybe it's one of those like do-it-yourself printer things on a cd-rom i don't know it looks pretty diy it says this though you may not know the name, Dale Nixon, but if you've listened to the radio in the last 40 years, you, you know the oral pleasure his fingers can bring. <laughs> Born and raised in Downey, California, Nixon got his first taste of the big time at age 20 when he hit the road as the bassist for fellow downey the Carpenters, on their Close to You world tour. In addition to his work with the Carpenters, Nixon lent his bass and guitar skills to Grammy award-winning artists like James Taylor, Glenn Frey, Linda Ronstadt, Bonnie Raitt, and Jackson Brown before a terrifying accident changed his life and sent him on the path to gas grill glory. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. You know what? It's funny too, right? Like I just finished watching a couple of Laurel Canyon documentaries and Nixon's nowhere to be found mm-hmm. on those.
1: Crazy. But well, before we get into the The excerpt that we've pulled from the audiobook, Ryan, I think it would be helpful to kind of paint a visual picture of Dale because very little is known of his appearance. Like, I've never seen a picture of him. There's no pictures of him on this or anything. But in one of the chapters, he describes his appearance during the time of Black Flag's My War sessions, and I think you transcribed it.
0: Yeah, well, he says, um, In the mid-'80s, I was frequently approached for autographs by strangers on the street who thought I was Jeff Cook, the burly mustachioed guitarist from the then very popular country rock band Alabama. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I went along and it often resulted in free drinks, food. And if I was really lucky, some erotic enjoyment. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> he even talks a lot about his jazz beanie, his jazz beanie brand.
1: <laughs> that last sentence, pretty, that's pretty gross. Yeah. Well,
0: anyways, we can't we can't keep this to ourselves and we have to share an excerpt from the audiobook with the listeners out there. So without further ado, here's the section of Dale's book where he talks about how he came to meet and play with Black Flag.
2: One day in December of 1983, I was lying on the couch at the local 204 Musicians Union in Culver City. I was extremely hungover from the previous night's Top 40 gig playing Huey Lewis and Lionel Richie numbers at a bar in Torrance when our local shop steward Mort yelled out, Got a session for you, Nixon! A kid named Gin just called and said his bassist quit. They're about to start cutting sides at Total Access Studios down in Redondo Beach. A recording studio in Redondo? I just couldn't picture it. Sure, I'd been to the Dondo a few times, but it was mainly to ogle chicks, drink tequila, and on a good night, get my wick dipped. But a gig's a gig and I'd have loaded that Gibson Grabber into my 75 Renola car and driven it up to Frisco if it helped me make enough money to keep my ex-wife's alimony lawyer off my ass. Word of advice to you struggling musicians, really think twice before you make the beast with two backs with the first backstage Betty or Brian who takes a liking to you. You'll be a lot happier and you won't have to shower at the local musician's union because your significant other locked you out of the house again. The next morning I showed up at Total Access at 10 a.m. sharp. I proceeded to set up my ashtray, my thermos, my candy bars, my music stand, and my acoustic 126 bass combo. I immediately started doing Dale Robics, my patented 10-level bass warm-ups, and after about three minutes, I could sense I was being watched. Out of the corner of my eye, I glimpsed three disheveled 'er ne'er-do-wells checking out both me and my top shelf bass chops. By now, I was blazing at level eight of Dale Robics, and I could tell the guys hovering in the doorway were very impressed. Hey, I wasn't first call bass and third call guitar at local 204 for nothing. When I finished warming up, the band's leader and guitarist Greg Ginn came over to my bass station and introduced himself. Greg was lanky, wore a green stay press button-down shirt, and looked a little bit like if Tom Scholes from the band Boston was also Lurch from the 1960s TV show The Addams Family. Greg spoke in a slow draw that made me curious if he might actually be asleep, but hey, we're musicians, why be normal, right? Greg introduced me to the other two members of the band, lead singer Henry and drummer Bill these guys wore t-shirts, sweatpants, and shorts, definitely on the casual side, and I felt like I fit right in with my sandals, floral shirt, khaki shorts, and loose-fitting jazz beanie. So, what are you guys called, I asked as I wiped down my roto sounds. I hope it's not the Greg Gin Band, because you might get confused with the Greg Kin Band, a reference to the Bay Area Power Pop group that was scoring big hits at the time with Jeopardy and the breakup song. We're called Black Flagdale, said Henry as he ran his fingers through his shaggy black hair. (laughs) Black Flagdale, I said with a hearty laugh, sounds like a town populated by pirates. Henry didn't take to my joke. Instead, he burned a hole right through me with the hardest glare I've ever received. But then, his face softened into a sly, wicked smile. Did Henry want to kill me? Or did he want to eat my heart out? To this day, I still don't know what that was all about. (laughs) Oh well. Just then, Greg plugged his clear, lucite, ampeg Dan Armstrong guitar into his amp and started the play. The tone was appalling. It was like if excruciatingly loud nausea was also a sound. It was sickening. It was violent. And frankly, it scared the heck out of me. A few moments later, Bill started drumming along to the brutal riff Greg was coaxing from his ice axe. It was like a flagrant, hateful wall of thunder. Sure, I'd heard some of the harder-edged new L.A. bands like Missing Persons, the Go-Go's, and the Paul Collins beat. And I even played bass on Next Stop Nowhere, a rough and rowdy song performed by a fictional punk band called Mayhem on a 1982 episode of Jack Klugman's hit show Quincy. So I felt pretty confident that I could hang with whatever edgy music these alley cats threw at me. But this audio onslaught was unlike anything I'd ever heard. The most accurate phrase I can think of to describe the music these cats were laying down is... Flagrant Power Rock After I inserted my earplugs and put on my headphones, Greg started showing me the chords to My War, the first song we'd be cutting that day. As I listened to what Greg and Bill were laying down, I instantly started doing the tippy-toe. A first-call musician needs to have a lot of tricks in their bag, and Lord knows I did in mine. The tippy-toe is a term I heard legendary funk bassist Bootsy Collins used to describe what he did when he was in the James Brown band. Basically, you keep a constant yet not too overbearing 16th note pattern going underneath the guitar and drums. It helps gently propel the song without sounding like you're pushing it too hard. After we ran through the parts of the song, Bill smiled and said, What you're playing is rad, bro! Sounds fucking awesome, dude! I tipped my jazz beanie and told Bill his drumming had the finesse of Jim Keltner and the power of whoever played drums in Rat. Turned out My War was written by Chuck, the band's longtime bassist and co-founder I was replacing on the session. Henry sang scratch vocals with us while we did the basic tracks. It was hard not to get caught up in the lyrics. This was heavy stuff. You say you're my friend, but you're one of them. I knew that feeling all too well. When I toured with the Carpenters, Richard Carpenter was always telling me I'd get a cut of the poster and program sales, but something always came up and he'd say, It'll happen next tour, Dale. But of course it never did. As a matter of fact, I tried to get Henry to yell, RICHARD! After the final, you're one of them, but he declined. Oh well. We got the basic track for the song in about three takes. I was disappointed in myself because I never need more than two takes to nail my part, but Greg seemed very happy. He said Black Flag usually practice six hours a day every day to get their songs tight. He couldn't believe I played the song so well having only heard it for the first time an hour ago. I couldn't believe he practiced so many hours a day and still sounded like that. I called Beat My Head Against The Wall the Ball Buster because it took quite a while for me to grasp. Basically, the song has a repeating verse and chorus that don't go together at all, and then in the middle, a bridge that doesn't fit with either of those previous parts. Since these songs were so far out of my wheelhouse, I needed to quickly figure out a concise way of writing the layout of each song. Every studio player has their own shorthand for writing their charts. Because we don't always have the luxury of recording our tracks while a vocalist sings, I'd give names to the different parts of songs based on what I thought they sounded like. My chart for Beat My Head Against the Wall went like this, elephant fart two times, punk four times, nursery rhyme two times, punk four times, nursery rhyme two times, spaz solo four times, radar love four times, punk four times, nursery rhyme four times. Man, I thought I tore my fingers up playing Steve Miller's Jungle Love when I filled in with the Tonight Show band for a week in 1979, but this was a whole new level of intensity. Sometimes we were so deep into the music and our playing was so intense, my jazz beanie would fly right off my head. The music, the atmosphere, and the vibe of the My War sessions were intense. Sometimes the guys got annoyed with themselves or with each other. But I think, because I was a good ten years older than them, and I played what I was asked in a professional manner, Bill, Greg, and Henry were respectful and treated me as a member of the team. I really appreciated it. I wish I could say the same for their producer friend who went by the name Spot. Spot caught an immediate attitude when he saw my bass rig. He said my acoustic amp wouldn't be loud enough to give the songs the powerful low-end they required. I said, listen, pal, i played on the three most up-tempo songs on the last two Little River Band albums. I know what I'm doing here. We decided to have an amp shootout and we agreed to use both amps to really beef up the sound. Greg's choice of which notes to include in his solos was always a mystery to me. It seemed like he was going out of his way to play the worst possible ones. Maybe worst is too harsh a word. Let's go with the most unusual ones. Hey, they probably said the same about John Coltrane back in the day, and his house is in the National Historic Registry. Sure, there were times I wanted to scream, You're so close to playing the right note! Why won't you? But Greg was the client. And I was just a supporting player. I made such a query of Graham Nash on a session of his once, and Graham gave me a look so harsh you'd have thought I hosed his old lady on their wedding night. Drummer Bill Stevenson was an interesting cat. He'd stripped down to his undershorts to keep cool, but truthfully, I thought it was so he could give a sexier performance. I'm not gonna lie. There were times, like when I heard Bill play the tasty hi-hat intro to The Swingin' Man, that I too wanted to strip down to my skivvies, but I couldn't risk Mort and the guys at Local 204 getting wind of it. You see, a few months before the session, my guitarist friend Lenny was kicked out of the union for smoking a cigarette while on a break during a Captain and Tennille session at Rumbo, so you can see I couldn't chance it no matter how turned on I was. Henry was a little tough to get to know. I don't think I've ever been in the same room with someone with such brooding intensity, and let's face it, charisma. I can't say I was shocked when I saw Henry on the big screen in the role of Spider when my fourth wife Sheila and I went to see the 1993 Keanu Reeves sci-fi flick Johnny Mnemonic. I was tickled pink when I skimmed through Henry's Black Flag tour diary Get In The Van and saw that he included a phrase he heard me say one day during the My War session. I was looking in the Total Access kitchen for some coffee, but all I could find was decaf Sanka. I stared at the label and said, 100% caffeine free is 100% not what I'm all about. Truthfully, I couldn't really tell if Spot knew what he was doing or not. He seemed to know how to run the mixing board, but he was hell bent on putting clarinet on several songs. I can't put into words how weird it was to be listening to playbacks of this extreme music, which I later found out was called hardcore punk, and hearing Spot tooting along. At first it was funny, but then it got very annoying. I could tell Henry really hated it by the way he crumpled up a stack of styrofoam cups every time Spot blew that thing. After a coffee break, these guys could really pound the stuff. We began working on a song called I Love You. My ears really perked up because finally here was some honest-to-god melody. The song had a nice hook and I immediately tried to get them to make it as poppy as possible. Guys, I said, I think you might have a hit here. I'd done a couple sessions with Linda Ronstadt and I suggested putting in a call to her about singing harmony on I Love You. I really felt Linda could help give Black Flag a song their label could take to radio. It was also my opinion that Greg should play the song on an ovation acoustic guitar, and that he should cut out the song's sludgy parts. Finally, I felt it was crucial to change the lyric about going to the liquor store to going to a flower store. You know, like Henry's buying his punk or girlfriend something nice for Valentine's Day, like a nice fruit basket or a low-cut revealing negligee. Surprisingly, the guys were not at all enthusiastic about my suggestions. I told Greg I felt so strongly that this song could break big that I'd put in a call to Black Flag's label to lobby for my ideas. Well, you're talking to the label now, said Greg, and I say no. I thought he was joking, but he wasn't. I didn't know of any artists at that time who released their own records. All the work I did was with artists who recorded for major labels. And in my opinion, if you weren't on a major label, you were dog shit. But not only did Greg's SST records release Black Flags music, it put out albums by a whole slew of bands I'd never heard of. Bands that were riding high on the college music charts, whatever that is. I thought Greg was just making up weird band names when he reeled off SST's roster, each name more ridiculous than the last. Stains, Worm, Saccharin Trust, Husker Du, Meat Puppets, The Dicks the dicks. Stains? Now I didn't know if Greg was into punk rock or porn rock. (laughs) But I can't say I wasn't intrigued. As I've already mentioned several times in this book, I'm not one of those prudes who's uncomfortable with nudity and thinks music and eroticism shouldn't mix. I'd be letting my freak flag fly 24-7 if I wasn't terrified of what the guys at Local 204 would say. Once during a break, the Black Flag guys were talking about Keith, the cat who sang on their first record. After he left the band, Keith hooked up with some other local musicians and formed a new band called the Circle Jerks. I was intrigued by the flagrant eroticism of the band's name and made a mental note to pick up their album Group Sex on my next trip to either Tower Records or Earl's Erotic Gifts in Glendale. Speaking of sex rock, at one point during the session, the band's right-hand man Mugger played me some of the tunes he'd been writing. The songs had titles like Slurpadelic and Hot Muff, and I loved the material immediately. This was pure primal rock and roll, expressing aspects of the human condition most people don't want to admit to having, the longing for erotic pleasure, and the lengths we go to achieve said pleasure. After the tape ended, Mugger asked me to play on those and a few other songs he was writing for his own shockingly named band, The Nig Heist. Hey, I once played on an album by a band called The Beaver Lickers, L-I-Q-U-O-R-S, so the name wasn't a huge deal to me. I readily agreed to Muggers' proposal, and a few months later we had a blast recording the Nig Heist twisted tunes at Music Lab Studios. It was fun to record in such a low-pressure atmosphere for a change. We laughed, cut up, and partied, and I still look back very fondly on the Snort My Load sessions. I sincerely doubt that anyone listening to this audiobook has ever heard Black Flag's My War. But in case one or two of you have, here's a couple tidbits you might find interesting about the three slow, sludgy songs that comprise side two of the album. Greg kept telling me to play the songs like a geezer's butler, so I put on these white gloves I wore whenever I polished my bass. The gloves only ended up muffling the sound too much, and Greg told me to just feel my way into it. Only later did I realize that he was telling me to play like Geezer Butler, the bassist for Black Sabbath, a band whose evil imagery gave me the heebie-jeebies and I avoided at all costs. Bill and I played a little joke on Greg during the intro to the song Three Nights. The song begins with Bill slowly pumping his bass drum for a few bars before the bass joins in. During the master take, I came up behind Bill while he was playing the bass drum, gave him my pick, and placed the body of my bass on his lap while I kept a hold of the neck. Bill, no stranger to stringed instruments, immediately started plucking out the notes while I fretted with my left hand. We were having such a good time we could barely control our laughter. Greg had his back turned to us the entire time, and to this day, I still don't know if he knows about our prank. After we finished the basic tracks for My War, Greg took me to a Mexican restaurant and asked if I'd be interested in touring for the album when it came out. I told Greg I was flattered, and maybe if I was 10 years younger and 30 pounds lighter, I'd jump right in that van. Unfortunately, I couldn't throw away my career as a 1st call session ace for a tour of the underbelly of the American punk rock scene. When my war was released, I happened to see an article on it in the L.A. Times. The piece included a photo of the current version of Black Flag. A gal named Kira had officially joined the band on base, and they were about to embark on a big tour of the USA with the meat puppets and an animal act called Tom Tricoli's Dog. I still felt bad for turning down Greg's offer to play bass on the tour, but I was touched that Bill, now fully bearded, seemed to have adopted my undercover DEA agent at a 38 Special Concert look. I finished my coffee, put down the newspaper, walked back into Ocean Way Studios to continue recording with Kenny Loggins, and didn't give Black Flag a thought for another 30 years.
1: So
0: Brent, I don't even know how to recover from
1: that. Yeah. it's really something, man, like Dale aerobics.
0: Well, yeah, Dale aerobics. Or whatever
1: he calls them, like the tippy-toe method that he employs on the for his bass playing. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, honestly, like he's a union man, so I like that. I think he's local 204. Like some yeah. of this stuff though, like this is kind of the most revealing info we've gotten into the My War sessions yet. Like if you listen to this and the Henry and Heidi episode on My War then you probably have a pretty complete picture of those sessions. Yeah, I'd say so. Like some, uh, it could have gone so differently too, like, you know, uh, Spot wanting to add clarinet onto some of the tracks, for example.
0: Or what if Linda Ronstadt
1: came on to to sing with, on the I Love You song? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been really something else, man. Interesting though how much Dale loved the Nig heist, for example, and he played on the record. Yeah, that I did not know. Well, I didn't know <laughs> Dale Nixon was an actual person until yeah. a week ago. Yeah, he also played with, like, you know, the Little River Band and stuff like that. Like, yeah. that's crazy. Dude has a deep history, man. So there's more, though, like, about Black Flag. I mean, the next part of the book, you know, is a lot about, like, him talking about being the king of the Southern California gas grill world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But there's more. Let's kick it over to that, to the, it's close to the end of the book where he comes back in contact with Black Flag.
2: Right. You could have knocked me over with a pair of cheap tin grilling tongs when I got a call in the spring of 2012 from Greg Ginn, the leader of Black Flag, the band I recorded with way back in late 1983. Greg said he'd written a batch of songs with the band's second singer, Ron Reyes, and he needed me to bring my special touch to the proceedings. Greg said he tried recording the bass himself, but it just didn't have the Dale effect, as he called it. I agreed to Greg's terms and headed down to Long Beach. When I got to the studio, I was kind of surprised. It all seemed a little half-assed. We'd recorded 10 or 11 songs for My War, but Greg wanted to record twice that many for this album. The songs were more simplistic than the My War songs. They didn't have the dark intensity of the songs we cut in 1983. Ron and Greg were struggling for ideas for song lyrics so I started rattling off the most cliche punk titles I could think of. I'm sick, down in the dirt, the bitter end, this is hell, give me all your dough, get out of my way, you gotta be joking. That was a song title, I wasn't, I wasn't saying you gotta be joking. To my surprise and embarrassment they ended up using all of my suggestions. When the record came out, I was praying I didn't receive co-writing credit. I didn't need my regional mix co-reps googling my name and finding out I had a hand in writing a song called Slow Your Ass Down. Thankfully, Greg and Ron claimed all the songwriting credits. When you own a successful company in the straight world, you quickly discover that your musician friends have a hard time understanding all the issues you have to deal with, keeping the company thriving. Greg and Ron were annoyed with me, perhaps justifiably, for constantly being on my cell phone fielding calls about gas grill deliveries, payroll issues, and human resource problems. But we got through the recording with minimal issues. The only real problem was, the buzz I felt on the My War session just wasn't there for the album that would eventually be known as What The... I was doubly horrified when I saw the album and realized Ron based the cover on a doodle I did on a pizza box. This time Greg didn't ask me to go on tour with Black Flag. I think he saw a future of me constantly on the phone running my Nixco Gas Grill Company from the shotgun seat of the Black Flag tour van. We both know he needed someone who could only focus on the task at hand. We wished each other well, and I told him I'd see him when Black Flag got inducted into the Punk Rock Hall of Fame. But fate wasn't done with me in the music of Black Flag. In late May of 2016, I was in Las Vegas having the kind of fun a guy in his mid-60s likes to have playing slots and doing serious damage to as many casino buffets as possible. I was about to tear into my third baked spaghetti of the day when I heard a familiar voice call my name. I turned around and there he was, black flag drummer Bill Stevenson. Bill said he was on his way to soundcheck when he spotted my signature mauve Hawaiian shirt and jazz beanie. Bill was in town with Flag, a band comprised of several of Black Flag's most beloved members that played all of Black Flag's most beloved songs. Flag was playing that night at a festival called Punk Rock Bowling, and Bill asked if I'd want to sit in on my war. I told Bill I hadn't been playing many sessions since I became fully ensconced in the gas grill world other than, what the, the only hard-driving rock and roll records I'd played on after my hang-gliding accident were by Dag Nasty, a kid named Ryan Adams, and this totally weird cat called King Buzzo. I followed Bill to soundcheck and met Dez, Stefan, Keith, and Chuck, the other members of Flag. I asked where Greg and Ron were, but the guys eye-rolling and groans told me not to pursue the matter. I told Chuck I hoped there were no hard feelings about me replacing him on the My War album. Chuck smiled, gave me a big bear hug, and said as far as he was concerned, I was part of the flag family for life. Chuck said he'd been dying for me to teach him the tippy-toe for years, and I had a blast showing him how to do it. He had it down in no time. I can't tell you what a rush it was getting up on that stage, sitting on my stool, and playing with those cats. The kids in the audience went wild, slamming into each other with unbridled aggression. I thought they were beating each other up at first, but then I realized they were just having fun. It was like musical football. The icing on the punk cake? Just after he sang the final, You're One of Them, Keith jumped up, turned in midair, and landed so he was facing me. Our eyes met, and in the loudest, most primal scream I've ever heard, he bellowed, Richard! I spent the rest of the night bowling and partying with the guys and all the punk rockers who seemed genuinely excited to meet me. It was back to the real world on Monday, but I was still flying high on the music, the mayhem, and the camaraderie I experienced that weekend. To be honest, I was also flying high on the first cocaine I'd done in about 25 years. But hey, Eric Clapton did a ton of coke, and he probably has a couple streets named after him, right?
0: Well, man, what the is right.
1: Yeah. (laughs) it's pretty crazy man and I mean like he talks about playing on that Ryan Adams record for for example Orion yeah. yeah 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 super interesting man and I mean I hope if Dale's out there and is aware of this podcast which I doubt he is just based on the his kind of lack of involvement in the scene you know I hope he's okay with us playing these excerpts but it was just too juicy not to play that he should pick
0: up his thunder broom and and
1: get work in the tippy toe. Yeah. Well, maybe we could have him on as a guest sometime. That would be
0: fantastic. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, they say don't meet your idols, right? <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I mean, if if Dale taught Chuck the tippy toe, I don't know. <laughs> but Dale also played in Flag, right?
1: Well, he guested with them live. Yeah. One time.
0: Where, yeah, but where's that footage? Yeah, I, I do I haven't seen that foot. I mean, I guess I haven't seen all of the flag footage, but there's a fair amount out there and maybe he's in the audience. Yeah. I don't I'm gonna know. I'm gonna rewatch some of that flag footage and look for a jazz beanie and a mauve shirt. Super and, uh, elusive dude, man. Spot him. Spot yeah. him in the crowd, you know. Hey, should we start talking about this record a little bit? We better. Because yeah. I, I need something to center myself again here. History lesson part two. So, Brent, before we go into the tracks here, I thought I'd give you a Spaceman spiel of the Wasted Again record. Please do. Here's what Whitaker said about the Wasted Again comp, SST-166. Imagine if your favorite flag party tunes of all time were put together in a room. Then the room was filled with hundreds of your best friends. Before the cops come, you better slap on Wasted Again. A collection of all the songs that make you want to party. Six Pack,
1: TV Party, Wasted, Rise Above, plus 12 more tunes. Yeah, that's definitely kind of the theme of this record. They missed Thirsty and Miserable, though, was my takeaway.
0: Yeah. It's not completely irresponsible
1: because it has drinking and driving at the end. Yeah. (laughs) So this came out... This came out December of 87 on LP, CD, and cassette. 33 minutes long, 12 tracks. It came, so it came out about a year after they split up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got side one, Wasted, which is off SST-001. Uh, of course, that's Keith Morris on vocals. And we've also heard this on episode 21, the first four years, and also on episode 15, Everything Went Black, in a different version.
0: Yeah, and notably, they're giving Brian Migdahl some credit here on the back.
1: Yeah. Yeah, also uh, on Live 84, Henry does it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so on the back of the jacket, for every song, it has a little blurb, too, in terms of who are the players. For this one, Wasted, it says, Recorded in January of 78. This song says it all. And then it goes through the players, also appears on SST1.
1: Right on. And the next track, TV Party. Uh, which is Henry on vocals off of Damaged, episodes SST 007. Also a different version on 012, the TV party single, and also a third version on the Repo Man soundtrack. I was kind of wishing they would have put on the single version, because then we would have seen, I think, every lineup of the band that actually recorded a, you know, like I'm not counting the Chuck Biscuits lineup because they didn't... Mm. They didn't release anything on SST, but if uh, if they would have used that, then that's Emil Johnson on drums. So they, I think, I think every lineup would have been represented on this compilation. But
0: well, except for the My War lineup,
1: right? I guess yeah. so. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I technically speaking. Technically, now that we know that Dale <laughs> Dale Nixon's an <laughs> actual person,
0: <laughs> that's right.
1: Then we've got Six Pack with Dez on vocals, uh, off of. SST-005, the six-pack single, and uh, I'm glad they chose this version. This is a Des song more than a Henry song, in my opinion. Uh, Also on 021, the first four years, Henry does do it on Damaged, but I prefer this one. And it's also on Live in 84 with Henry on vocals, episode 30. Here it says,
0: uh, more amped than the version on Damaged. This version from the single is about 348 proof. Don't Be Lighting No
1: Matches. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if that's Whitaker.
0: Uh, Well, it does say on the back here, Art by Craig Ibarra. It Mm. doesn't give credit to who wrote the liner notes, though.
1: Yeah. The next track is I Don't Care. That's a Keith song off of Everything Went Black. And then we go into another Keith song, I've Had It, off of Nervous Breakdown and The First Four Years. Yeah, here it says, no, no,
0: wait, what are you doing? Arg! quick, Louie, hide the bong. I think I hear my dad coming. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, then Jealous Again with Ron on vocals off of the uh, Jealous Again single, SST-003, also off of the first four years, and Everything Went Black with Dez on vocals, and also on Live in 84.
0: Right. Here on the back cover for this song it says
1: Jealous. Who
0: me? Nah.
1: Where's my woman? Alright, and then Slip It In uh, with Henry on vocals. That's off of SST 029, of course. Slip It In LP. And also on Live in 84. Then we flip it over and we've got Annihilate This Week with Henry on vocals. That's off of uh, SST 035. And also a live version on 081, the 12-inch EP. And also the CD version of Who's Got the Ten and a Half. Ah, right. Episode 60. This track, it says here, the week is
0: done, now what's party time?
1: Yeah, Loose Nut, another Henry-era song. uh, Again, off of SST 035, Loose Nut. Uh, Also a live version on Who's Got the Ten and a Half.
0: Yeah, this one, it says, with a powerful pull and a half-knockered lilt to their walk.
1: Hmm. Then Gimme 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 with Keith on vocals. Uh, This is the Everything Went Black version. There's also a version on there with Ron, another one with Dez, and Henry does this live as well. Yeah. And on Damaged, I think. Making this, I think, possibly the only Black Flag track with versions from every vocalist. Uh,
0: here it says, it's Johnny Bob again, so over the dose and up the load, Black Flag has come to party.
1: Yeah, Johnny Bob was their name they gave Keith Morris on the Everything Went Black when mm-hmm. they credited him. Louie uh, Louie with Dez on vocals. This is from the Posh Boy single, uh, which we'll be getting to on episode 175, which SST reissued. And we've also heard it on Everything Went Black and The First Four Years. Yeah, this
0: one's funny. It says, Des reworks the boring classic and revs up the party in the process. Fabled single version.
1: All right, and then Drinking and Driving with Henry on vocals from uh, SST 045, In My Head. Also released as a 12-inch promo single, and it's also in a live version on Who's Got the Ten and a Half. Yeah, and it says, remember, friends don't let friends drive wasted. Yeah, and that's it. Here's a few stats, Ryan. We've got four with Keith on vocals, one with Ron, two with Des, and five with Henry. And like I said, nothing off of Family Man or Process of Weeding Out which is not really surprising. You know, the theme of this is like partying or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What could they have? Maybe there's no party songs on My War. On My War? Yeah. I don't know. What a... It's kind Mm. of a weird and pointless comp, to be honest with you.
0: I think it probably sold okay, though, because you saw it everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think it was a pretty well-distributed comp that a lot of people picked up when they wanted a taste of some black flag you know and they didn't have to i mean maybe there's no my war tracks on it because my war is just it's just not a party
1: album you know it is an aggression album you know yeah uh two of these songs ryan have made the ballot result before okay which ones jealous again for episode 003 Mm -hmm. and Slip It In for episode 029. The one that I liked the best this week was not one of those. Excellent. Yeah. Here's an interesting thing about the artwork, Ryan. Uh, This is something Craig Ibarra posted on his Instagram page. Craig, of course, uh, we've talked about before. He runs Water Under the Bridge Records. Uh, He also did the A Wailing of a Town book. Yep. Uh, He's also vocalist for the band Rig that ended up putting out some records on cruise. Uh, he says on Instagram about this artwork. Uh, he mentions that he was 18 years old and he was dating Kara Nix at the time. She was working at SST doing mail order. She had showed, you know, the guys some of Craig's artwork, and she set up an interview. He talks about being ushered into a conference room and seated at a long table. Like, <laughs> and in walk like Greg Chuck and Mugger hired him on the spot, and he started the following Monday. This was October of 87, so right before this came out. He says, Rich Ford was the art director and production manager, along with Patrick Manning and Ed O'Brien, worked in the art department. Everything was cut and paste at that time, he says. So they assign this as his first job, and Gin tells him, I want it to be colorful, but wasted looking. (laughs) So he explains in this post that he was hoping for a little more direction, but since none was forthcoming, he sat down and started doodling with markers and colored pencils. Yeah. And he says, I recall having mixed feelings. I was somewhat proud that I had just designed my first jacket and it happened to be for my favorite band. But at the same time, I didn't really like how it came out. I knew in my heart it was the worst black flag cover ever made.
0: Not the worst ever. Yeah. There is the "What the" album. Don't forget.
1: Yeah, it's not bad. It kind of reminds me of the Meat Puppets' Mirage. Well, yeah, I was gonna
0: say I don't think it's. I don't think it's that bad. It would.
1: It would be cool. Really cool cover for like a band like the Meat Puppets or Always August or something like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I was gonna say too. Like Always August would would maybe fit the art because it is. A, it has a total psychedelic vibe. That that even though the Flag guys were into psychedelic music. They didn't really play psychedelic music. That's yeah. the thing.
1: Yeah, it's cool, though. Like, I like it. It's very colorful. I like my favorite thing is the right under the word wasted, that little tube that's spewing yellow goo. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a few things on here that I really like. The lightning
0: bolts has kind of a paisley feel in places. Mm-hmm. It
1: must have taken a really long time to do this.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: And then further to what he mentions about it being a cut-and-paste art department, I mean, the Black Flag logo and the lettering, Wasted Again, is definitely cut-and-pasted, along with the song titles along the left-hand side on the back. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say
0: it's the worst Black Flag album cover. I wouldn't even say it's a bad album cover. It's just not a really good fit for Black Flag.
1: Yeah. Is there any dead wax, Ryan?
0: Not on my copy. Right. Maybe maybe on an earlier pressing. I'm sure I have a pressing from the 90s, is my guess. Then let's head over to the ballot result. Ballot result. Whew. I'm still recovering, Brent. Not yeah. from this record, but from all the just crazy news that we had to break to the people this episode. But
1: Yeah, it's too bad for a couple of reasons that there's no okay. my, my War stuff on here. We're only going to get the chance to put one song off of that amazing record into the ballot result. Mm, And we don't get to have Dale Nixon represented here on this record. yeah. Yeah, it is too bad. Yeah, What are your picks though?
0: It's so interesting. No matter how well, you know, these songs, every time you listen to them, especially when you're doing it for the podcast here, when you're listening to it very differently than you have in the past, or you're listening to them in a different context, like this time, for some reason, the gimme 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 version with Migdal drumming, like I never really noticed how there are those sections where he's really lurching
2: mm-hmm.
0: on the kit. There's that plodding, lurching kind of uh feel to the music at some point, which was really, really neat. I didn't really notice that before. It's not my pick though. My pick would actually probably be loose nut when when loose nut kicks in. I just love the riff. I don't yeah. know. And I've always liked that album, but uh that's my favorite one
1: off of this compilation of Black Flag this time around. Yeah, my picks were Annihilate this week, Loose Nut and Drinking and Driving.
0: What did we pick for In My Head?
1: Uh the title track. Is that right, eh? I, I think
0: probably so. would have wanted Drinking and Driving. Yeah. I would go with Loose Nut or Drinking and Driving.
1: You pick. Let's do Loose Nut.
0: Okay. I loved it this week. Just yeah. loved it.
1: Well I'd say thanks to Dale Nixon, but I doubt he's gonna hear this so Yeah,
0: wherever you are, Dale, he's probably just rocking his beanie at a slot machine. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good.
1: (laughs) All right, Ryan, what's next week?
0: Next week, Brandt, a bit of a first for us, I would say, SST-167. The group is called Semantics, Bone of Contention. We've had some of the players on before, but this is the first time we've had that combo
1: yeah man looking forward to it hey everyone thanks for listening you can find us on facebook instagram twitter tumblr all at mojack pod we post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show our blog is mojackpod.com please check it out for some exclusive content